The art and practice of working with the land is everyone's business. The soil under our feet provides unnecessary foundations of food and clothes, determines the health of our body, our country communities, our well-being and our ecosystems. How we interact with it is a powerful tool to ensure a vital future, but who of us truly knows how to regenerate and support it so it thrives? We're our noble farmers, of course. Join me, Jade Miles, from behind the farm gate as we learn a thing or two from those who know. We'll hear the tales and truths of their life's work right here on the Ori Co-op Farmer Stories Pod. As a farmer with a 32-year history of organic avocado production in the mid-north coast, Sandra is the matriarch of a family business that experienced two solid years of drought as the entree to the summer fires that decimated both of her orcharding properties. However, ever the optimist, despite high levels of trauma, she held her mettle for the sake of those around her and continued steadily one day at a time. Despite the devastation, there are definitely silver linings, which she'll talk about in the next half hour or so. And with a galvanised desire to continue farming, she is undoubtedly leaving a legacy of knowledge that we are all utterly grateful for. Um, hello, I'm Sandra Fishwick from Red Plateau Organic Produce, and I've been farming on the Combine Plateau and the Murrell Creek Plateau for 32 years. I farm with my two sons, Carl and Joey Hanley, and we're organic pioneers who have been farming organically um, for 32 years. And you were impacted by the bushfires in 19-2000? Yes, our farm got hit by a firestorm um, in November 19, uh, 2019 and it was devastating. Um, there was nothing we could really do except put spot fires out and protect our, our farm gear. My son and two a neighbour and two workers saved the house, the gear, um, but unfortunately we lost about 40% of our orchards, most of our irrigation. Um, a small amount of gear, we lost a trailer, um, and just, you know, basically the psychological effects were just devastating for us. Mm. Of all of the farmers that Ori Co-op have been working with over the last 12 months, Sandra, I feel like you have um, shone in terms of your openness and your willingness to be really truthful and really open and willingly sharing. There's a generosity to your your uh, vulnerability that's been really appreciated by so many others who have listened to your story and and joined you every month as we've come together to look at the bushfire impact on people. And it's really interesting to hear you say that as much as anything, the mental health has been the struggle? Yes, it certainly has. I had counselling um, virtually immediately after the fires and it took a long time for the men that were actually up there in the fire to openly admit that it was a very, very scary time for them. Um, the fires were so bad, they didn't know whether they were going to get out. Um, it just... There was so much going on. No one really had time to even think correctly about anything. But luckily, they all stayed safe. They did cop a lot of smoke. Um, that's probably one of the really downsides of what they did up there, which I think definitely would have affected their health badly. But, you know, they were sitting in the car for about four hours in between trying to, with the air conditioning on, to get out of the smoke. Um but, you know, we're moving forward. 
things are looking up. We're getting over it as much as you can ever get over it, which honestly I don't think that you ever do really get over it. Mm. I think you just move forward and try and forget about it basically. Mm. And you're saying this at the end of a 32-year farming history, so your experience and your maturity to, to cope with it and manage what it looks like for you is quite different to your sons who are at the very beginning of their farming journey. Do you think it will impact them? Look, I think it will impact them. They're, the two boys, uh, one's been farming for 20 years with us now because as soon as he left school and so has the other one. So, you know, they're both up to, you know, 14 years and 20 years, 15 years of farming. So they have been in it for the long term mm. already and that is their job since they left school. So we've been through a lot of ups and downs. We've had droughts before. We have never had a fire like this um, on our property at all, ever. Mm. Um, so it was quite a thing to try and mitigate. But we have learned to be resilient over the years and not give up. Mm. A lot of people, you know, probably would give up, but it's our passion. And the boys still have quite a long working farming history in front of them. So. There's no way that we're going to give up. We're just going to keep going and mitigate things every day, every week, every month as they happen. Mm, the resilience you show is unbelievable. I, I feel like while it took a few, a little bit longer to come out of the fog of the impact of the actual fires, I feel like you put one foot in front of the other pretty quickly and you um, you know, you know, came forward with solutions and you were, you were looking for that sense of hope to return pretty quickly yes look we have confidence in the country up there it's a red soil volcanic loam so it does repair as long as we get rain and we can put you know some nutrients in there and we can get the grasses growing and all that type of thing we are fairly confident that it would repair quicker than maybe some other places that that got really burnt hot so Sections of our property did burn very, very hot. We had parts of our orchard that got burnt straight to a stump. Mm. Um, and still today, we're actually losing trees, even though it's been nearly, you know, a year and a half after the fires. Trees that look like they were going to survive, and they did survive for quite some time and now passing. So, you know, you just don't really know how it's going to affect long term in one way but we're fairly confident with the organic practices and things like that, that we can rebuild it. Um, some sections are looking really good again now. So if you didn't know that we had a fire through, which you can tell obviously by driving up, the bush has been extremely damaged. Um, it's killed a lot of the the young bush. We still have a lot of the mature bush there, but any any saplings, they all went because of the intensity of the fire. Um, but if you didn't look at the bush on the way up and you got up to our plateau, you, would, you wouldn't you would even realise that the place had been burnt now mm, because we've had... Ex- luscious green. It is. And because we've had extensive um, bulldozing done now, we've had to push out orchards, we've had to push the bush right back um, in, in certain sections. Other parts we, we didn't really have to touch too much at all. So um, I've got confidence in the land so and that's the main thing really if you can have confidence in the land and with your practices if you're confident about your practices and because we've been farming long term we know 
that our management is a very good management it's because it's been tried and proven. So you're growing over avoc- years. you're growing avocados up there. Are there other uh, co- commodity growers around you who aren't using the same practices as you? And have has there still been an opportunity to build a sense of solidarity with them through this bushfire experience? Basically, um, our plateau is a 400-acre block that was cut into um, two sections, one being a 300-acre and the other being a 100-acre. And the 100-acre is owned by my two boys' cousins, so they are farming as well. They inherited the farm from their father who passed away just after the fires, and they are doing exactly the same practices as us. And they have been the whole time. They've both been organic farms since the beginning. Mm, so there's definitely so, a sense of solidarity on the hill. Yeah, and look around, we're surrounded by bush other than that. Um, so there's no contamination. There's no worry about any any other conventional practices that might impact our farm. Um, and basically, we're on a plateau by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a gift, isn't it? It is. You're always For really... organics, it's wonderful. Oh, well, I was about to say that. You're always really quick to acknowledge those that are around you. Have they um, come forward with a sense of solidarity following the fires? Um, look, most people in our farming area, um, on our plateau, um, we've helped each other. The other 100-acre farm was burnt as well. They lost a little bit of stuff, but not as much as us because the firestorm actually hit our farm full on on one side and then spread to the rest of the the 400 acres. Um, look, it's it's been quite good with farming because we're on the same page. There's no worry about anything basically. So it's been it's been quite good. You know, we couldn't really ask for anything better. It's very, very isolated. It's probably not everybody's cup of tea, um, but in an organic, clean point of view, there's no contamination. We're surrounded by a national park. Mm. Having farmed for 32 years, you know a few things and you've experienced the ups and downs and highs and lows. How would you describe the last two years of farming life? Because prior to the fires you were experiencing drought? The drought was fairly devastating. Um, We've had a couple of big droughts um, in the farm, at the farm in, you know, those 32 years. Um, Nothing that's ever lasted as long. Um, The amount of rain that we had in 2019 was very minimal. Most of it came in the first half of 2019. And in the second half, there was hardly anything and it after being on and off in drought for the three years it made it very very vulnerable and we all knew that if anything happened the whole area would go up like a bomb and that's basically what it did from the mountains to the coast here in the mid-north coast Tari area it it just went up and there was just nothing anybody could do there was that much fuel load and everything was just so dry so you've you've talked about having faith in the land, and I feel like that's something that if if some if you've farmed for a long time, or even if you haven't, but you've had a desire to farm, you've got an understanding that the land is your foundation, and that you know that in itself can be enough to keep you going, and if you if you know that it's got the ability to heal itself, but 
You know, during the really hard periods, what has it been that's, that's kept you going? What it's actually been is knowing that things will pass and that it won't be like this forever. The only thing that was a bit frightening with the drought and the fires that if it did destroy the whole orchard, mm. um, which it didn't luckily. Um, and my son said to me in, in 2019, after we'd been struggling, we had no water. And I said, I'm, I'm getting over this. And he goes, Mum, we've, we've, we've been used to it now. He thought we were used to it. So, <laughs> you know, and I just thought that was so beautiful, so simple. We're used to it now. We've adapted. We've adapted. <laughs> so, and look, we did talk extensively about our orchards and everything, and we came to the conclusion that if things happen, we do lose our orchards to either the drought or the fire or anything. Basically, we still have the country. And that is the main thing. As long as you've got that beautiful soil, you can go up there, you can stare at the view, you can look at the bush, you can see the animals. It's it's still a wonderful thing to have, even though it has been our life. And we are trying to make money. But when you look at the basic blocks of what you've got, that is the main thing, really. Mm. So as long as you can keep that, you're going okay. And as a steward of the land who's been doing it for as long as you have, how incredible to have two of your children eager to take on that legacy. Well, the children were born, you know, into the farming. We've always farmed. We were doing market gardening in the beginning and they always helped with the market gardening. Um, my last son, he wasn't born then, but the first son was. And we used to have really good fun. We'd have huge tomato fights in the paddock, huge, <laughs> huge rotten potato fights in the paddock. Yeah. And I don't know whether you've ever smelt rotten potato I or rotten tomato. They're, they're on a bit of an equal par to what smells the worst. But they hurt. But, they're still a bit hard. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, and we've had the, I've got the two girls that have helped as well. And, you know, we, we just take things as it comes type of thing and, we just try to keep them interested. And and basically what the interest was for them was being able to help us and keep things the way we wanted it and being the boss of our own block of land and, you know, for them to realise that this could be a following that they would like to take. And basically they have. But the biggest thing was the carrot. And the carrot is being able to have money and keep going with what you can, even though we've never made lots and lots of money out of farming, because most of your money goes back into farming, as anybody that's farm knows, every year is not a good year. Mm. So as long as you can cope with those ups and downs, you'll be okay. And the boys are now owners in the property. Um, they're not just working for us anymore. They're actually owners. They're, they're partners. So it gives them a good job for life if they want to keep it like that. They may get to the point where they may only be managers or something and there may be other people that they need to organise and tell what to do. But at the moment, and I can't really see it changing too much in the future, but they are hands-on. So, you know, and that's the best place to be because you can control things, you can help people, you can show people what to do, how it's done. And they've taught themselves to do everything. They weren't trained 
formally trained at anything. So, and they can, you know, they can do mechanics, they can do woodwork, they know how to do farming, they know how to farm organically, they know all the practices, they can do irrigation. Like anything that happens on farm, as most farmers know, they just get along and fix it. The, the and if they can't of skills fix it, they send it out. Isn't it? It's just the breadth and depth of knowledge that a farmer has to have is so, so far from the specialist existence of our industrial world. They have capacity to, to really fix any problem. Yes, and, and you have to because you, well, especially for us at the first farm, we're very isolated. The second farm is a bit of a different story, but the first farm is very, very isolated and you have to do problem solving yourself. So, you know, you, you just try and get on, work out what the problem is, ring up people, find out what it is, look things up on the net and, you know, get a manual. <laughs> Google get a life manual. Thing. That Don't helps. Do it. Yeah, it's the lived experience, isn't it? <laughs> so following the fire, which followed the drought, I have no doubt you've had a fair bit of time to contemplate pretty deeply whether or not the practices that you have embraced for the last 32 years have stood you in good stead, better stead or are in need of change. How are you feeling um, a couple of years out or nearly a couple of years out? Um, Basically the practices that we have are the practices that we've been doing for a long time and we will continue to do them. So it's just about growing the green manure crops and then putting that mulch around the trees. We, We don't fuss too much. We don't do compost piles or anything like that. It's just whatever you take from the paddock, you put it directly around a tree. So you're basically just moving the carbon around in the paddock. Um, So, you know, it's simple. It's a simple way of farming. We use organic fertilisers. So we're not truly sustainable farming. Um, We bring in organic fertilisers. So, um, and you sort of got to push the trees like that and try and, and get those biolifes and, you know, the microorganisms happening in the soil as best as you can, um, which we know when we've had fires that, you know, the drought lessens that and then if you have fire, it destroys it basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's it's just the practices that we do. We've, we've done lots and lots of different practices. We've used worm castings. We've used kelp. Um, we've used different sprays, all that type of stuff. Um, and we, we still come back to the standard mulching, fertilising, maybe using some sort of, you know, sea, sea spray or, you know, seaweed spray or something like that. Um, and basically it seems to work. If you can keep the soil in that balance, it just does it itself. It starts to break down. You get the beautiful humus around your trees all the worms grow, um, and that's what you basically want. It's very hard to do it when it's drought, though. Yeah. <laughs> the whole process slows down. Yeah. However, where you are has um, a really high rainfall and has had a relatively low impact from drought over the last 100 years, hasn't it, in comparison to other parts of the world or the country? Look, um, we sort of have. We've had a few droughts in the 30-odd in the years, um, I've seen the epiphytes fall off the off the trees twice. Mm. So this time in 2019, there was you know staghorns and tree ferns and things just birds' nest ferns just falling off the trees. Mm. Um, 
orchids and stuff like that, and I've, I've seen that before. So hopefully we won't see it again for a while. In the but very it is near a cycle. Anyway. Yeah, that's right. It's all a cycle. I've got no qualms that this won't happen again. Hopefully we won't get a fire like that again. But there's no doubt in my mind that we will go through other dry periods because when you've been farming as long as we have, we've seen it before. Mm. It's going to continue to happen. It's nothing new. The trouble with our area, because it's a, a rainforest area, when we don't get the rain, it does suffer. Mm. So It's all relative. It, it's, it's sort of relative. But I really don't think we're going to get a big dry period like we did that time. It's quite unusual, I, I thought. But if we do, we will just move along with it and try and mitigate. That's mm. all we can do. Adapt the same as we do when we get lots of rain because <laughs> that can be painful as well. Yeah, you're all of these factors that are out of your control. That's it. So despite the last couple of years being really tricky, you are quintessentially positive to the, your very core, I would say, even during times of hardship. Have there been any silver linings from this experience? Um. Yes, I absolutely love my son to pieces that was in the fire because, and I loved him anyway, and I love all my kids. But when he was up there fighting the fire, it absolutely devastated me. I didn't know whether I'd see him again. I wished he wasn't up there. I didn't care about the farm. I just wanted him back. Mm. And because it was so dangerous, um, those men are very, very lucky that, that nothing serious happened to them up there mm. other than a bit of emphysema from smoke inhalation and no one really got burnt or anything. Um, my son took charge of the whole thing and, you know, directed people what to do um, and just we were just very, very lucky the way everything happened up there. Yeah. Mm. And, so and look, it was frightening. It was a very, it was most probably one of the most frightening things that's ever happened to me, I think. And him, no doubt. And no doubt for him it was very, very frightening. But what it's actually done for our relationship, it's made us very, very, very close. Mm. And is he okay? So he's okay. He's He wants to keep going with everything. He hasn't really had any time off much since November 19. Um, but he stood up to the plate and he did everything possible. He was up there every day. They were putting out spot fires that we didn't have enough water to put out completely, so we had to just keep an eye on those. There was about five or six of those burning through the bush and in stumps and under the ground. Um, so, you know, we were basically up there every day just watching those sort of things and making sure they didn't take off again. So it was it was pretty scary, and then the, re the repairs of the irrigation, and then you know we're trying to work out what we were going to do with the trees, and you know the soil, how we were going to sort of pick all that up. But you've got to do things one at a time. You can't very very hard to take all that on all at once. And because you've been through such a shock, your brain isn't working like it did before you went through that trauma, and I know that he wasn't right for quite some months and it took me about six months before I could actually focus correctly. Mm. I couldn't read documents. I couldn't 
whole conversations. I had memory loss, couldn't think of words, um, which apparently after seeing the counsellor, it's PTSD. Mm. So, you know, and I think that was fairly normal. I mean, you can't go through those traumas and those shocks mm. without having some type of effect on you like that. But, mm. you know, we're moving forward. It's been over a year now and we're all getting over it. And do you think that's been a time thing or has that been um, an ability to see the change in the landscape and accept that or has that been, you know, actively seeking counselling or what is it that's actually helped you come to terms with that and slowly start to be able to function like you were before everything happened? I think what it is, it's basically when the the event happened, it was very, very traumatic and we were trying to just move forward and work out a plan on what we had to do first. And we, we had that plan straight away. Um, there was no qualms about what we had to do. We knew what the program had to be to pick it all up again. It was just a matter of being able to actually do it and put it into practice. So basically you just sort of move along, you keep going with it, you've got your plan, and then, you know, it's a bit off-putting when you realise that that you're not right um, because I used to be quite articulate um, and I'm, I'm not now. <coughs> Sorry, my voice is going. And I'm, I'm not very articulate anymore. Um, it is getting a lot better. It's probably... 80, 90% back to what I was like. Whether or not I'm going to get back fully, I don't know. But in the beginning, as I said, I couldn't even read a document, mm. couldn't comprehend the words. Mm. It yeah, was just, swam. it was horrific. Mm. It was really, it was really shocking. Mm. And actually. as the matriarch of the farming business, I imagine that was difficult for everybody around you too because they were used to your leadership and your guidance and your communication abilities. Yeah, and it was. But look, you know, as long as you seek help in the right direction, I had a, a man that I paid. He came in and helped me do the documents and things that I need to needed to do for the fire grants and stuff like that. Um, how I went through them, how I could fully understand and write what I needed to write. Um, so that was very helpful in the beginning. Um, but it still took me over six months before I could actually even look at those documents mm. because I couldn't, even if someone was showing me, I couldn't get it. I just, and it was just trauma. Yeah, it was just you know? swimming. It was just trauma. But like, you know, it took my son at least six months before he said to me, you know, how horrific it was. And, and any time I ever asked him, he just, oh, no, it was all right, mum. We were fine. It was, it was good. It was okay. And that's what he basically said. And then about six or seven months later, we were standing up in the paddock and we were talking about getting the bulldozing done because you couldn't get a bulldozer. There was just so much going on in our whole area that any machine that you wanted was just taken up by somebody else. So we were standing in the paddock and he said to me, see the trees? And I went, yep. He said the fire was coming up and arcing over those huge trees and coming down into the paddock. And I just looked, and these are fully mature, you know, gum trees and stuff. And I just went, oh, my gosh. I put my arms around him and I said, mate, that must have been so frightening. He goes, mum, we were scared shitless. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
And that was the first time that he ever said that there was anything bad and, you know, that he actually admitted that they were so scared. Mm, that it had been hard. But that was a turning point, I guess, for us. Mm. You know, every time I see him, I give him a big cuddle, tell him I love him, you know. We're sticking together no matter what. It's a fairly spectacularly <laughs> beautiful silver lining, isn't it? It is. And it makes you really appreciate everything more. Mm. It makes you appreciate people. You appreciate what other people have gone through because all of my friends have gone through the same thing. Some people lost their homes, um, their whole livelihoods, the whole town, like the people out in, in the further reaches in the hills, right to the beaches, like everybody copped the same thing. And people in our town were just walking around like zombies the first few weeks. But the really good thing about it is they set up the evacuation points very, very quickly within the next day of these fires starting. And then we had all of the help from other organisations, from Sydney and, and different places. They were sending food and water and clothes and we had the Muslims came up. They they brought stuff. We had the, the Zeke people come up, um, and it was just incredible. I just thought, oh my gosh, look what's happening! Everyone's pulling together. Everyone's helping each other. Mm. Um, there was a bit of squabbling in the beginning when the fires were on, and there was a limitation to the amount of dozing and forestry gear that they were using, um, and people were really freaking out making sure that theirs was a priority over somebody else, even yeah. though everyone was in the same position. Yeah. So so people were a bit like that. Um, it was just so frightening for everybody, you know. Yeah. So there was a little bit of, you know, I need it more than you type of thing. Yeah, it's interesting to see how people respond differently to an environment that is full of fat and an environment that's really lean. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's primal, yeah. isn't it? That's that desire for survival it, it, is pretty primal. It's that's right. It's a desire of um, to live, to protect what you've got, to protect your family, to protect your land. Mm. Because it was so serious, um, the winds that we had and the dryness of the soil was dry. Everything was bone dry. So, and the heat it was so incredibly hot on the days that were very very devastating in our area. The winds were massive. The heat was just Impressive. just incredibly hot days. Mm. And everybody knew that when the fire came, you're not going to control it. There's no way in the planet that you can control it. So, you know, I mean, I, I was at Rotary the other night and one of the ladies came up and she said, oh, I met a neighbour of yours, Wendy. She lives down, at, down on the bottom road there. I went, oh, yeah. She was telling us about your sons, how they came and saved her house. This was before the fire hit, hit my plateau. And um, she said she was she was crying. I said, I know, it was devastating. They nearly lost their house. The boys turned up with pods of water and I think they might have backburned, which no one was supposed to be doing. But they saved this woman's house and the woman next door. Wow. And they are eternally grateful. That was just on Monday. I got told that story. Mm. And mind you, I've only met this woman once. And I met her at the post, at like our post boxes at the bottom of the road one day. 
And she said, oh, who are you? I said, oh, I'm up at the avocado farm. She goes, are you Joey's mother? I said, yes. She goes, he saved my house. Him and those other men, if they hadn't have turned up when they did, we would have lost everything. So, and there was no, here, well, look, there was no fireys. They were all caught up with everything else. There were so many fires in our area mm. and it all happened at once. Mm. And right across so the, the local people just got up and did what they had to do to help who they could. Mm. And did. And you're still finding out about it. And, yeah, it's still going on and people still remember. Mm. And they know exactly that if these people didn't turn up, we would have been history. Mm. There's a visceral um, recollection capability in that. And yes. it may never leave you. No, and it, and it makes a connection with people too. Like you may, they may not really be your friends in your friends group or anything and they're a neighbour and, you know, that you don't ever really see very much at all. But when you do see each other, it's like, hi, how are you going? You know, I'll mm. never forget you. <laughs> so that's a silver lining too, isn't it? It is. It just, you know, it's just another human connection that people have with each other. Mm. It's it's all about the vibe. <laughs> the vibe, the community vibe. So despite everything that's happened in the last couple of years, would I be right in saying that the experience has galvanised you and your boys' desire to keep farming? Oh, yes. Mm. Oh, yeah, we're not going to be stopped by this. No. <laughs> no, we, we want to keep going. We've got plans to move forward. We've got plans to, to you know, try to just do as much as possible to repair things, to get things going again. I mean, with orchard trees, it's um, it's a long process. It's it's not like a, a, a three-month turnaround with market gardening and stuff like that. It's very, very long-term. And we know that when we put a tree in that it's basically not going to do much at all until about six years of age. Mm. So we are planning long-term. Everything's long-term. So, so you know, and when you do that, you just sort of know that, yep, that's what we're doing, that's how it is, and that's what you do. You don't, you can't really, you can't speed things up. No, the seasons tick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, look, you know, I think it's all been a, a big, massive, massive experience for everybody. Um, it's showed people that we're not invincible. There's certain environmental things that we cannot conquer and we just have to go with it. You've just got to do whatever it is that can get you going again, that can bring your connection back and you just got to move forward and try to stay positive, even though with these devastating things and traumatic events and things like that, um, you've just really really got to stay positive, you know, and what I was doing at the farm the first few times, you know, up there and I was just trying to look at what was left, not what was but what was burnt and that helped me. Yep, we've still got that and that patch there survived and that, oh, I love that tree. I'm glad that one came through and, you know, there's special little parts on the farm that we just love a bit more over other bits. Mm-hmm. and you've just got to go around and, and just go, yep, that's still here, love that bit, we're going to keep going with that. You can't look at the negative stuff, and, and it's very, very difficult to do because financially it is a huge drain on your resources. Mm. 
And it was definitely was for us because we'd already spent our budget for the year. Um, we'd already bought new trees. We'd put new irrigation in, um, all sorts of stuff. And then we had to come up with that money again. So and the headspace and desire to repeat what you had just completed. Exactly, and it's massive. When you actually do something like that, you put your irrigation in, you get your trees planted, you, you, you're trying to water them as much as possible to at least get them established, um, and then it's all taken away in, in, in a 12-hour period. Like all your work that's just taken, you know, six months of of planning and, and, and performing and then it's gone. Mm. You know, it's it's a shock. It's it's a shock on many, many levels for people. You mm. know. It really is. Sandra, this will sit in the Ori Co op um, resources kit. Yeah. And it'll be there. For a really long time, we imagine. Of course, we'll share this with farmers who have experienced this round of natural disasters. But, you know, it will sit there for a really long time. So if you could say one thing to those people who stumble across you in a couple of years' time having experienced something similar themselves, what would it be? Try not to give up. Try to make good decisions don't make them all at once in the beginning because as things settle down a bit, you might get a different view on things. Um, and if you do have to give up and you do have to give your block away or sell your block and you can't go on with it, it's a choice that you have to make and don't feel bad about it because you won't be the first one that's ever had to give up on farming. It's a passion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautifully said. It is a passion. Thanks for listening and, of course, thanks to the Organic Regenerative Investment Cooperative for their support in sharing these important farmer stories.